Welcome to Art Heroes with JPH, where we believe art heals, connects, and galvanizes. I'm your host, Joanna Patrice Haggerty. On this show, I am honored to have some of the nation's most innovative leaders, artists, and creative business owners to share their unique and valuable experiences, processes, practical tips, and inspirations. Today with me is Kelly Sheehan, who is the Senior Director of Energy Campaigns for the Sierra Club, where she leads a national effort to advance climate justice and a transition off of fossil fuels. Kelly joined the Sierra Club in 2012. She has been an environmental activist by passion and by trade for the past 20 years, directing campaigns to protect the environment, training and engaging people to participate in our democracy, and building a movement for social change. Kelly lives in Asheville, North Carolina with her children. She was honored as Best Environmentalist by Blue Ridge Outdoor Magazine, and you can often find her exploring trails and rivers in the Appalachian Mountains. I brought Kelly on to talk about her work and to learn about the Climate Listening Project. But first, Kelly, thanks for being a part of our Biz Radio fam. Thanks so much for having me. What a treat. Yeah, we were just talking about how you're you're so lucky to be able to be on several of our co-host shows. So I love that people can go listen to the episode you just had with Alex and the one that will be coming up after this one. So how exciting. Let's make sure we can dive in and share new and relevant information on my podcast today. Perfect. Awesome. Well, for me, again, my show is really kind of this intersection of art, innovation, activism, and creativity. So I heard that you also have your own creative talents. And I thought maybe we'd wind the clock back and talk a little bit about early life and what that was for you and what creativity looked like and then how you got into the work that you're doing. That sounds fun. (laughs) Sure. Um, You know, it's interesting. I think I perceive myself a little bit more heady than creative, but (laughs) I've stepped into owning my own artistic abilities and skills from kind of a unique perspective, I guess. I was really drawn as an early activist. I lived in Vermont. And I was introduced to the Bread and Puppet Theater. Have you ever been there or heard of it? No, Vermont is like one of the few states that's like still on my list to to hit. So I'm hearing about it. I will put it on my bucket list now. (laughs) Yeah. So Bread and Puppet Theater is this outdoor theater in rural northern Vermont. And they are an artist and activist collective that put on these shows throughout the summer. Um, They used to be almost festivals of sorts where they give out free bread, of course, that are made in their wood fire oven. But then they have these huge pageants, puppet pageants with um, maybe 10, 15 foot puppets with these big wingspans and they have a critique, a political critique and political theater that helps give people um, an artistic interpretation of understanding and understanding of issues we're facing in our culture and politics and it's um, quite revolutionary in a lot of ways. And I remember sitting up at one of those theaters um, in, you know, I was maybe 18, 19 years old and thought, I want to be part of that. And mm-hmm. lucky for me, it's participatory. So you can go and help build these puppets out of cardboard and cloth and make signs and you can go be part of the pageant because they need lots of people to carry them. And 
it then became something that I um, started to seek out. When I would go to big marches or protests, there was always these, what we call an art build, where for weeks leading up to a big march um, or mobilization on climate change or anti-globalization or something like that, we would rent out warehouse spaces and um, would screen print signs or build these images that people could carry during a demonstration. And I loved it. I loved the, and still do really, I love the conversations you get to have in a big, um, huge space of people making art and people that are at the intersection with creating environmental and social change. And then I get, I love get, you know, teaching folks how to wear a puppet or march with <laughs> one, that sort of thing. So that is kind of um, along the lines of my creative endeavors as it intersects with my environmental leadership and my, um, and my art. I think it's really important to unpack this conversation a little bit. And so I'm really grateful that you're sharing that because people oftentimes put art in just museums or in just these ways. And I love breaking down those barriers and those walls. And I truly believe that art heals, connects, and galvanizes, which means we bring the hard issues to the table. So I love that you're bringing one really strong example that has been used and how art has constantly been at the forefront of having difficult conversations in history and breaking it down. So let's, I mean, also, I just want to shout out, makes me really proud of our local organization the Street Creature Puppet Club. Yes. Yes. It made me really just like I'm having flashes to their parades. Yes. And love what they bring to the table and that activism too. So let's talk about how you have made yourself down here and how you're working with the Sierra Club. What What has that meant for you and how did you get to this position? Yeah. So I started in the movement back in those days that I was just speaking of. And then I came to Asheville, North Carolina in 1999 to help work on protecting the forests of the southern U.S. And from there, I found my way into politics for a while. And then it came to the Sierra Club back into what I think of as my home as Mm -hmm. um, environmental leader and activist. And now I lead a nationwide campaign. So I'm based here in Asheville, but my work is all over the country where we're working to stop the expansion of the oil and gas industry. And we do that because it's an environmental justice issue, because communities, particularly communities of color and low wealth communities are being impacted most directly by both the climate crisis and by um, the pollution from the fossil fuel industry. And because we know that we won't be able to um, meet the challenges of the climate crisis if this country continues to produce more oil and gas than anywhere else in the um, world, than any other country in the world. So that is my work as I I lead our, our our work to stop the expansion of the oil and gas industry and address the climate crisis. 
And thank goodness that we have people really bringing that to the table. And, you know, I think that these conversations tend to be a little difficult for the average person to sometimes know even how to get involved. So can we go a little deeper and break down what does it mean when you say the work that you're doing to stop this? I mean, I know you mentioned politics. I know, you know, so break it down. Talk about the events. What do we do? And how do people know about how to get involved and really stand up? Because I'll tell you, those of us who want to see change feel really overwhelmed at times, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, me included, right? (laughs) I work day in, day out on addressing climate change, and it can be really, it can be really overwhelming. So I would say that we are in a moment in time that requires all hands on deck. Mm. And so if that means you work with kids, then find projects to help children understand about um, using their voice or about making choices that are better for the planet and for the environment, um, reducing and, you know, reusing and recycling and that sort of thing. Or um, I think as uh, one critical part that I tend to be more involved in is around the political change. And so that is being involved to write letters or send your emails or call your representatives on the state level or national level when we have important votes coming up. There's a lot of advocacy organizations that can help you, like the Sierra Club, right? So people can find out more at sierraclub.org about how to get involved. And there's no shortage of times where we need people to show up um, to speak up for policies that will perhaps accelerate accelerate the transition to clean energy or provide in tax incentives, uh, for example, to solar and wind or things like that. I believe that's the scale we need to be operating on. We can each make individual choices, of course, to um, reduce our impacts on the on the planet. And I think ultimately, though, we need large scale policy changes that are big enough to take on the power of the fossil fuel industry. Mm. And I just love how you really brought it to the people in a way that I think we can be empowered. A lot of times, you know, if you're not standing out with a sign, then you aren't considered an activist, or if you're, you know, and I think that conversation is really evolving now. And what I'm hearing you say is, hey, you're working with children, bring that to the conversation there. Hey, you, I, I work on my computer all of the time. I can get the Sierra Club email newsletter and be like, great, let me click this button and go send this email or go do this little thing. Or I can tell someone about, you know, a vote that's coming up. I mean, there are almost infinite ways to stay educated, but it really requires a little bit of discerning where to go find that information, finding the organizations and and really trusting that you guys are are doing the vetting. You're working with the scientists, you're out feet on the ground, you're really learning what is working because a lot of climate change is very micro grassroots efforts, wouldn't you say in some ways? Yes, absolutely. It's kind of happening on all levels. There's these localized efforts that are so important that might be, you know, say your local composting program or something like that to reduce our food waste. And then there is a state level advocacy that might be 
calling on utilities that that provide our electricity to move towards more renewable energy. There's national policies that we've seen passed through the most recent Congress that's going to give large-scale investments and tax breaks to be able to level the playing field for renewable energy or clean transportation. And then there's the international um, work as well, where we do our part here in the U.S. to help our government meet the challenges and the commitments that we made to the international community for addressing climate change. So there's really kind of no shortage of levels of mm-hmm. where you can, you know, get involved. And, you know, the art is is a big part of it, too. Um, finding ways that um, and support for people to capture the imagination of folks that we can create and live in a world that is um, that is more like in harmony with with the planet and that is more regenerative and that can create local thriving local economies that don't um, rely on some people suffering at the hands of the fossil fuel industry Mm -hmm. right so there's there's all kinds of ways that um, folks get inspired and get involved and it's all really important Mm, I love it, man. Preach to the people. Um, <laughs> I would also love to kind of zone in a little bit and maybe see if you can explain a little bit about one of these initiatives that I um, think that is part of why you're on the show, the Climate Listening Project. I'm really fascinated how there are stories now being told by artists. They're being captured and activists. So tell us about that, unpack that, and help us understand you know, what that looks like and how people can go learn more about it. Yeah, so our latest work with the Climate Listening Project has been along the Gulf Coast of the U.S., predominantly in Texas and Louisiana and in Florida, where we have been meeting with folks and talking with people about living in places where storms and hurricanes hit, where it really is the front lines of the climate crisis, and hear about people's experience living in these places that are also very entrenched in the fossil fuel industry where there is drilling for oil and gas and where right now there are more than 20 proposed huge facilities. They're called LNG facilities, liquefied gas. Um, It's like gas export facilities that would take our gas that's being extracted here and processed here and sending it overseas to then be um, regasified from the liquid and used in um, homes and buildings overseas. And it's just this tremendous pollution impact and climate impact. And so people have started, the artists have started a mural project It's called the Gulf Coast Mural Project, and you Mm -hmm. can see more about it at gulfcoastmurals.com. And there are, I think we're up to eight cities where artists have found locations to create images that will be unveiled in um, the coming couple of months 
that uh, depict various, you know, various images from the hopeful to the heartbreaking about um, about the impacts of fossil fuels in their community, or sometimes uh, portraying a vision of what a healthy and thriving community could look like instead. So we're really excited to be part of this project. And with each one, the artists are telling their stories. And on the website will be the artist stories and the artists sharing what the murals mean to them. And it's just a really kind of different and exciting way to engage the public and our decision makers about what's happening in this region. Well, and, you know, as someone who works with artists, who works with business owners, we talk so much about stories as the way to share a brand, as the way to share, you know, marketing and sales. And it also is the crux on how to really unpack the conversations of the impacts that are occurring on individuals. Because if we cannot have those conversations, we actually don't know what the problems really are. So I I just love that you guys are really engaging the eco art community, which I think is really growing and abounding leaps and and bounds because we need this ability to have these harder conversations and make real changes. So I'm just really excited about this project and learning more. And it sounds like there's going to be a lot of other little initiatives, right? This is just the ability to say, what's the current need and how do we share that story? But there's other ways to do that outside of murals with events with, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah, exactly. And it's, Look, I've been, you know, like many people, I have been concerned about the, about climate change um, for decades. And what we now know is that the science alone isn't driving the level of change we need to address the, the threats that we're facing. And we need the kind of cultural and narrative changes and we need the hard conversations like you're talking about. Um, And we need the imagination of all of us to not be limited by what we think is possible. And so artists play an important role in shifting that narrative and that kind of cultural understanding and conversation that we can live really well and we can live in community with each other in a way that lifts all of us up and that protects the planet and our ability to have clean air and clean water and a livable planet for generations to come. Mm. I'm just so honored that this work is being done. And I just feel so grateful that artists are being a part of the conversation because as an economic development specialist, especially who studied arts and that impact, I just know the importance of really keeping that a part of the forefront of this conversation. I mean, wow, I know that there's so much more to unpack. And I know that 2022 has been a wild year, but is there any maybe highlight of something you'd like to bring before we close our show of what you are really proud of that has been achieved this year? Um, sure. I can I can share a, 
Um, maybe I'll just share a few that are top of mind. Um, I would start by saying there have been a couple of projects that are these gas export facilities in the Gulf that have been delayed because of grassroots activism. So the activists in the communities that work together with the lawyers who are enforcing our environmental laws have held off um, projects in both Louisiana and Texas where these big facilities would be built. So that has been exciting. And I also wanted to lift up here in Appalachia the work to stop the fracked gas Mountain Valley Pipeline. That is one that has been filled with artists, actually, who have been engaged in it. This has been a decade-long fight to stop a proposed pipeline that would uh, bring gas that was drilled in West Virginia. Um, It would bring it through the National Forest and through Virginia and potentially even down into North Carolina. And that is stopped for now. It's not, the fight's not over, but it is stopped on so many accounts. And that is because of activism and it's because of people's relentless advocacy and speaking up and showing up and lobbying and talking with the media and creating art and having meetings and um, and doing the work, doing right, Kelly? Doing the work, right? Well, I hate that we're going to have to wrap up the show, but I think that's like the mic drop moment to say <laughs> you are really showing up, doing amazing work. And I want to invite everyone to go back and listen to the episode for the link, sierraclub.org, thegulfcoastmurals.com. You can check out Kelly at EcoKelly on Instagram. And again, thanks so much for being here today, Kelly. Truly, truly. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, ma'am. And as always, this is Art Heroes with JPH. We would love to have you visit us on bizradio.us or reach out with any questions you may have. And as always, stay creative. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.